Hello, and welcome to the Power Dynamic Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Amanda Aguilera. I'm Executive Director with the Right Use of Power Institute, and I do research, writing, and facilitating in social power dynamics. In this podcast, we bring to light what often gets left in the shadows, personal, social, and systemic power dynamics. We get to have discussions with some of the most brilliant hearts and minds in fields like leadership development, diversity, equity, and belonging, conflict resolution, ethics, communication, and social action. We explore with you the nuances of the different types of power and bring to light how we can best navigate power together. Our deepest intention is to create spaces where we can collaboratively learn together what it means to use power consciously and how to move toward right relationship across difference, while also promoting well-being for ourselves and for the greater good. Before we get started, please be sure to hit the like and subscribe button so you won't miss any of our future episodes. Each episode builds on each other, so it can be helpful to follow along. And a way for you to show support for us is to leave a review wherever you're listening to this podcast. We value your feedback. So let's dive in and learn how we can transform our relationships to power and each other. Hello, and welcome to the first episode of the Power Dynamic Podcast. Our guest for this episode is Dr. Cedar Barstow. She's the founder of the Right Use of Power Institute and the creator of the Right Use of Power approach. After developing this approach for 35 years, she's retiring and moving into a new role at the Institute. In this conversation, we're discussing the origins and evolution of Right Use of Power, our conscious transfer of leadership, and the challenges of succession planning. We also discussed some insights about the growth of right use of power and the most important aspects of the next phase of curriculum development. So welcome, Cedar. Thanks so much, Amanda. Nice to be with you here as the new executive director. I'm excited about this conversation and just about getting into some of these questions that I know a lot of our students and teachers might be curious about and also just all the things that we've discovered as we've made this transition has been really valuable. And so I think sharing those insights could be helpful for folks. More than valuable. Amazing. <laughs> so let's get started. The first question I have is just what was the original inspiration for Right Use of Power? You know, the original inspiration came 35 years ago when I was the executive director of the Hakomi Institute, now called Hakomi Mindful Somatic Therapy. And it, we were very new and very unusual in the field 35 years ago in being very body-centered. And we realized we really needed to come up with a, an ethics code and a grievance process and an ethics training for our students. And I looked around, and I'm a psychotherapist and Hakomi trainer myself, but I looked around and most of the ethics training, at least then, was about memorizing a list of rules and promising you'd never make a mistake, which is impossible. Who's thinking of a list of rules when, you, when you're facing a difficult, challenging situation? 
and uh, who imagines, well, people who want to do good want to imagine that we can be so aware that we'll never make a mistake. But we all know that relationships are very messy. And no matter how good we are, we're all going to make mistakes. And so one of the most important things about what I wanted to bring to Right Use of Power as it developed was this understanding that we don't have to be so scared of making mistakes if we develop confidence that we can repair, repair harm when it happens. And uh, that was a huge insight for me as a therapist who after my first ethics training, I was just terrified and shut down with fear I was going to make a mistake. So also, as I got deeper into studying ethics programs and designing the grievance process and our new ethics code, which we wanted as a team to be more about what to do with less about never do this or else, and more about why does this particular behavior, like getting sexually involved with a client or a student, why does that cause harm? What kind of harm does it cause? because that's a much better way to approach relationships than, oh, what do I have to remember now? What should I not do? So it really wanted to be about relationship. And then the second thing that came up was, gosh, ethics is really about being in right relationship with power. And so suddenly ethics and power got linked together, and that opened a huge new world of of study, of excitement, of seeing that it wasn't a matter of taking an ethics course and then being ethical. It was about spending a, a lifetime learning about your impact on others when you're in a in a role power, status power, elective power, personal power and understanding that that power is relational. So we developed a, a very innovative grievance process that was a little more like restorative justice that you know about now, but I'd never heard of. And more about education and repair and less about punishment and shame. And then we designed a, or I designed this training program for our students and Hakomi is very body-centered, so I was used to teaching from a experiential body-embodied view of psychotherapy and how to be with, with clients. And so I wanted the, the ethics program to be similar, a really positive project, trajectory and engaging and exciting and connected with issues of power, which 35 years ago weren't in the news and mentioned the way they are now. So somehow we hit on a, a, a something really important early, early on, which brings us into the leadership in this. Yeah, it's interesting that you're, that the evolution of kind of ethics, especially thanks to you and your work, 
is mirroring some of like you mentioned restorative justice, like the evolution of justice and our concept of that. And even leadership, I think historically our understanding of being good leaders and followers really had to do with obedience, you know, with like following the rules and, you know, do this, don't do that instead of it being really conscious and really in the moment and about respect and, and really, yes. And earning trust and understanding the nature of the relationship of the power where there's a power difference. Such an important evolution. Yeah. Oh yeah. And how exciting that power is really a, a hot item right oh now. Oh my gosh, yeah. Well, and it's just a part of every re- relationship. So it's, uh, it's, it's of interest yeah. to us all. So why did you choose the name Right Use of Power? And what do you mean by right? Well, it, it was a simple choice because I had heard the phrase from my friend Amina Nolan that ethics is the right use of power. So that that's what just seemed like simple. But then as I got into it, and now as we evolve into more trying to be um, non-binary, the title is... Pretty, sounds pretty binary, right or wrong, which is exactly what I was trying to get away from in, in my ethics course and ethics ideas. So, but it just stuck. There's something that felt, yeah, we want to talk about right use of power because power has such a, especially for people in the helping professions, has such a negative idea. It's, it's seen as manipulative, forceful, power over. We don't want to do that. We want to help people. So why would we want to have any power? So uh, so this is a, a reframe, right use of power. But as I get, as I think about it more and as it's evolved, it seems very clear that it's about being in right relationship with power, which is focused on appropriate relationship and the appropriateness varying by what the relationship is. And so we could say appropriate use of power. We could say conscious Mm -hmm. use of power. We could say wise use of power, but here we are with right use of power, just trying to understand the underpinnings a little better. Yeah, thanks for explaining that. I know that a lot of people get stuck on that that piece, so I think understanding that's really helpful. So, how is there's there's a lot of different models out there and a lot of conversations about power. How is right use of power's approach different from other models oh my. of power? <laughs> that's the beginning of a, a, a potentially big discussion and. You can help me with this too. But I think one main thing is that we use the definition of power as simply the ability to have an effect or to have influence. So it has two parts, the the ability that we all have to have power and our influence 
which is how we use this power. So we start with that simple definition, not a complex one, and noting that that definition is not loaded positive or negative. It's neutral, just like money or feedback or any of a number of things, technology. Neutral, it's how we use it that makes the difference. So that's one way our approach is different. Another is we have a, a description of types of power that I haven't seen anywhere else. And it started out with three types. Personal power, which is your power we all have, as I said before. And we lose it, we gain it, but we all have it. And then role power, which is power that's related to having a position of authority in some way. I would be being a teacher, being a therapist, uh, being a doctor, being a spiritual leader, policeman or policewoman, roles like that. And these, in right use of power terms, it's seen as an add-on power. Role power is an add-on to your personal power. And so often, when we study about power, those two get mixed up. So it look, looks like your role power is the same as your personal power. And this, is, this gets to be confusing for people because uh, you have to, if you're an airline pilot, you have to go home to your family and take off your airline pilot hat in order to be a dad and husband. If we don't do that, then, then we start treating our families like they were our passengers on our plane, whatever metaphor we're using. And why might we continue to walk around with that add-on power? Like what would be some reasons people might do that? Continue to be the pilot or? Because it, it usually feels pretty good to be looked up to the way we look up to airline pilots using that that uh, image or spiritual teachers or therapists we look up to these people like expecting uh, some kind of perfection from them and that feels good naturally it feels good mm-hmm. but if we connect that to our to being who we are everywhere in the world, that's um, not helpful. Mm-hmm. In fact, it causes relationship damage. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, there's, there's the other side, which is exploring the idea that underuse of power is also a misuse of power, which might be one of right use of power's most useful teachings. Mm. So many people, I said this before, but it's worth saying again, so many people are afraid of power. And then to to see that if you underuse it, like if you're a psychotherapist and you don't really take charge and you don't, don't watch out for a miscommunication that might happen, things can escalate and your client can feel unsupported unnoticed and Mm -hmm. like you're really not taking care of them 
and that's a misuse of power. Yeah, it's it seems like there's a a tendency for folks who don't who are afraid of power or don't like how power is used in society and think that there's only one way to use it, which most of us have experienced misuses of power or abuse of power a lot in our lives. Like there's a tendency to flatten the, the want to flatten the hierarchy and just make us all one, which in one way we are, right? We're all equal as human beings, but it sounds like you're saying there's a, there's a danger in, in, in that flattening. Yeah. There's a danger in not saying yes to the responsibilities that go with being a therapist or a teacher. I remember when I was teaching a a class, people were paired up and we were using the image of a scarf as a symbol of your role power. And the two people who were role-playing therapist and client were sitting facing each other. And the very first thing that the therapist did was take off their scarf and hand it to the client. And so I asked the therapist after the exercise was over, I asked the client, well, what did that feel like? And he said, oh, that was really scary. Mm. Suddenly she was handing me all the responsibility and I was here to be able to let go of so many responsibilities and feel safe about moving into my, my past history of, of pain mm-hmm. and trying to heal that. But I, can't, I came to her not to do it myself. I've been trying to do it myself for a lifetime. So it was very scary, said the client. Mm. Yeah, that's such an important thing that's easy to to forget. And I think a lot of us, too, when we think about responsibilities, that also feels scary. Like there's that's some true, too. You know, we, we think about responsibilities more as like obligations mm-hmm. instead of features of our role. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's interesting, our relationship with responsibility, which could be its own, you know, podcast episode. Yeah. And so we, in Right Use of Power, we also talk about self-care and how that actually is an ethical issue in itself. Because if we're not taking care of ourselves, if we're taking too much responsibility, and there is, there is a way of taking too much responsibility, then we are liable to make lots of mistakes and cause harm, not intending to, of course, but because we're just tired and even burned out and that's such a such a problem these days when we mm-hmm. work and work and work and work and especially people who want to help people just want to keep going and going but there's a way that people when they look at saying yes to the responsibilities if they see the responsibilities and say a embodied yes to them it becomes less scary it becomes more something centered in your body that's part of your relationship with your client does that make sense 
Yeah, it does. And it's, it sounds like getting clear about what the responsibilities yes. are and aren't can be really helpful yeah. for navigating relationships. And that's one of the things we go over in the core training, looking at all the dynamics here, yeah. all the aspects, all the things. Yeah. It's a big list. It's also a relational list. Yeah. Yeah, and so it's it's design. So it was originally designed for therapists, and so a lot of the examples you use, and you're a therapist yourself, so a lot of the examples you mm-hmm. you use are based around ther- psychotherapy. But what other fields is right use of power relevant in, or where do you see right use of power going now? Well, it is because of you. And the other people that are coming along, being trained as right use of power facilitators, it is evolving in some organic, natural way. And so lots of spiritual teachers and leaders, uh, clergy, are being drawn to this because there's, there's so many pitfalls in that role. And then body workers, uh, doctors, nurses, we've had some lawyers um, and coaches, lots of coaches coming to, to learn about this and, and use it in their coaching work. Uh, let's see. And well, yeah, yeah, yeah. a few. Yeah. Since, you're, since you're the one bringing in the new Right. Ones. Well, you know, I've started to develop the the status collective and systemic power pieces of right yes, use, thank goodness. Right use of power, thank goodness. which is, a, you know, it's, it's a whole other domain, but so integrated with how we use our personal and our role power too. And so the diversity, equity, belonging field and just general leadership in any organization, it's mm-hmm. really, really helpful to understand. Mm-hmm. So I want to talk a little bit about, too, how the, the transition has gone for you as you, you know, you, this has been your life's work. You spent 35 years developing this content. You've taught people all over the world. Like, I don't know, it's probably in the thousands now. What is it like to kind of start to let it go and let it be developed by others and including myself building on your work? What is that like for you? I have to be practicing what I preach, (laughs) which is disidentifying myself. Mm. And that's quite a process. Mm. And I I call it moving into the balcony view, Mm. which means I'm not so much down in the the nitty-gritty and administrative stuff, thank you to you, (laughs) as I was. But that gives me space to slow down, have a little more space in my day, and see from a a higher, uh, a larger perspective, which actually is one of the things that you get with role power. Mm. One of the gifts you get is a larger perspective. And then, so I'm a lucky person because not everybody who's developed a system has uh, found somebody so compatible and perfect and 
strong to step, who wants to step in and take over the leadership like you. Mm. And we've been working together for some 10 years and you've already had, even before retirement, you've had a huge influence. So it's also been a relationship thing going on between you and me as we do mm. this transition. What's it been like for you? Yeah, I mean, as you said, we've been, you've been my mentor for a long time. And um, this became my passion work. You use the word perfect, which I'm very, very far from that. So (laughs) I disagree with that particular (laughs) word. But I, yeah, it's been, it's, it's been a joy actually it's been a challenge and a joy i'll say because it's i've learned so much and i've now started to develop my own work on your foundation and trying to carry on someone's legacy and honoring them while also helping to evolve the content and helping to evolve the organization it's a tricky thing. oh my goodness balance. Mm -hmm. I will retract the word perfect because I know (laughs) you and I both want to be perfect and that's one of the things that is it's not going to work. Yeah. Well, you know, we decided that we would do a retirement party and in it, and it was an in-person party with another version online, and in it we, we would actually look each other in the eye and meet face to face and talk openly with people listening to what it was like to transfer the power to you for the evolving of this organization and being executive director. And I symbolized that by giving you a scarf and putting that around your neck as a, as a symbol. And it seems like that was very rare for people to see happen in front of them and moving. Yeah. Because so often when leadership changes, it's, it, it's the end. Yeah. Some kind of schism happens. Either the leader holds on too tight or the leader let, lets go too much and loses the integrity of the, of the work. And it's also usually a shift from one person whom people organize themselves around to a group because it's getting bigger and there are going to be more people in leadership positions. And that's a, that's a big shift for the people in the organization to move their allegiance their uh, from one person, the founder, to the organization and the ideas as a whole. This is a healthy move, Mm -hmm. one to be really excited about, and it so infrequently happens. And we're both devoted to doing this in a way that that, um, does right use of power justice. Yeah. Yeah, there are a couple of things that you mentioned that I want to talk a little bit more about one is the ritual, the ritual that we did that you said we included the community in. I feel like there's just 
in general, especially in the United States, we don't have a lot of ritual, regular ritual in our, in our lives and certainly not in organizations. You don't find that very often. But I, f- I feel like that's been hugely helpful for us in the su- succession planning process is including the community and doing that intention intentionally and consciously in a, in a very kind of ritualized way. I don't know about you, but I felt an alchemical change at that moment when I put the scarf yeah. on your shoulders and said, you are now executive director of Right Use of Power Institute. Something that yeah. really visceral changed. You? Yeah. Yeah. It, yeah, it was like an energetic transition and helped me to also to step in not only because of the exchange between the two of us but also because the rest of the community witnessed that and i think it was helpful for them to make that to come along with that transition and in fact we added to that asking all the people who in the audience who were teachers or board members uh, to come up and line themselves up behind you, having your back, as Mm -hmm. somebody said. It's important to me, as you're starting to mention, this is the second thing that I wanted to highlight is just the, the transition from following a single person to following not even the organization, but the, the work, Mm -hmm. the work of right use of power. Cause I feel like, it's not just a curriculum or an approach. It, it, it's like work. Mm-hmm. It's a lifetime, day by day work. And that power is such a, you know, it's present in every relationship and for everyone. And having a diverse, having diverse perspectives, having mm-hmm. a lot of different people in different bodies. Mm-hmm. teaching this and and developing it is really, I feel like it, one of the most important evolutions that we're involved in right now for the organization. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and for sure, I never wanted to be some charismatic figure. So I've always, since the beginning, emphasized, make it your own. Don't make it just like me, make it your own when you take it out into the world, do it your way, staying true to the spirit of right use of power. But still, no matter how much you say it, people do organize around you. Mm-hmm. I mean, did organize around me. And still do. Which is a good thing too. Mm-hmm. But So it's trying to hold both, giving away and acknowledging people's appreciation. Mm-hmm. Appreciation is a gift. It's such a subtle art form. I'd said it's it's the work, but it's also in this, this art form that just takes so much balancing and consciousness. And watching you do it now for many, many years, I've just learned so much by how you do that naturally. And also because of 35 years of studying and teaching this. Yeah, it's something that I aspire to do is 
hold that delicate balance between strength and heart, being open and receptive, mm-hmm. but also directive and and mm-hmm. strong. Mm-hmm. Yes, power with heart is certainly very core to right use of power and helps people frame that you don't have to choose between being strong and being compassionate. Really, we need this balance that you were talking about between both. So what is your highest hope for Right Use of Power as it continues to grow? Just that it continues to grow and evolve and continues to attract the people who are the right people to take it the next steps like you and I see a number of other people coming up right now who are really bright stars and mm-hmm. to uh, to hope they feel empowered and excited and to see how many different places we can uh, get some of this information into because in terms of all the science and technology, things that are being astounding things that are being developed now, if we don't evolve our ethical consciousness and our ability to understand the nature of and use power wisely and well, we will not be able to guide these new technologies in the way that will make them useful and vital to humanity and the earth. Mm -hmm. To loop back to what we were talking about earlier with obedience and following the rules, it's like the right use of power breaks us out of the shame cycle that that obedience frame creates so helping people to break out of that really mm-hmm. confining frame mm-hmm. is needed in the world. And we need people up power and down power to be empowered. Yeah. Just in different ways. Yeah. So you said, I want the right people to take it on. What makes the right people write. And here's that, here's that right word again, but I'm just curious. (laughs) Well, for me, it's a combination of excitement, juiciness, understanding what, what this approach is and its essence, willingness to uh, work with other people in a collective way willingness to make mistakes and learn from them and uh, commitment, Mm -hmm. not just to the organization, but to getting these ideas out where they're so needed. Mm -hmm. And also commitment to doing the work. Mm -hmm. I think that's one of the things that I'm realizing more and more every year is just how this is a lifelong learning 
process. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So the commitment to, yeah, being willing to learn and let go of things that don't serve anymore and adopt new things. Mm -hmm. and, mm -hmm. and the more people who are in that place, the better off we'll be. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for joining us for this very first episode of the podcast. Uh, I really appreciate your time and your guidance, and we'll probably have you back on at some point. It was a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Power Dynamic Podcast. If you'd like to follow along, remember to like and subscribe so you don't miss our next episodes. You can also find out more about the Right Use of Power Institute at www.rightuseofpower.org, or you can like us on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, or TikTok. At the Institute, feedback is always welcome. We appreciate feedback that is generative, meaning that it will help us to stretch and grow, but also avoids destructive commentary. To submit your feedback, please email feedback at rightuseofpower.org or feel free to leave us a review. The views, thoughts, and opinions expressed by guests do not represent the views, thoughts, and opinions of the Right Use of Power Institute, nor are they an endorsement of or opposition to any specific organization, product, or service. The material and information presented here is for general educational purposes only and does not constitute advice or services. Some episodes of the Power Dynamic podcast include a transcript of the episode's audio. The text is the output of AI-based transcribing from an audio recording. Although the transcription is largely accurate, in some cases it is incomplete or inaccurate due to inaudible passages or transcription errors and should not be treated as an authoritative record. We welcome you to download and play the podcast and share with others for personal use. Please acknowledge the Power Dynamic podcast as the source of the material. You may not rebroadcast, distribute, or commercially exploit any portion of the content, except with our express written consent. The Power Dynamic podcast is produced exclusively by the Right Use of Power Institute, all rights reserved.